0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series, and now here is Pastor Jeff Stewart.
1: yo, she be dead damn! You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Granny uh, is doing something that I want to use as an illustration this morning. She comes up there and people look at her, she's got that dress on, and I thought, you know she's going to give a recipe or something. And what she does is she says, "I'm a rapper." And you saw the reaction of all the people. All oh, lean forward is you, you're a rapper." So what she did right away by saying that was she shocked people's expectations. She engaged. The culture that was there. And everyone knew enough about rapping that they were able to engage themselves. I don't know if you noticed, but there are all kinds of colors and representations of generations that were engaged with that. She kind of brought them all together because of the surprise that she uh, was able to produce with what she did. And that's what I'd like for us to be talking about this morning as we look to the cultures we're trying to reach. There are many Cultures today, there are many generations today, and sometimes I can't keep up with them. The identification of them, you see them in the news, you see them, uh, people who are trying to identify themselves by the way they dress, by the way they listen to their music, by the television they watch, and it's difficult to keep up with all the cultures. Now, I was born on December 24th, 1953, five minutes after my twin brother. And along with being born into this mode of existence, I was born into a cultural classification called the post-war baby boom. As I look around, I see there's quite a few of you here as well that were born within that context. Now, there was something about the, the culture at the time, because of the phenomenon, that named that. It was something that they hadn't encountered before in the modern era. And all of a sudden, the war is over and people are settling and there are suburbs being built and there are people getting married and there are people having babies and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, it's a boom. There's a lot of babies being born. And so they called it a baby boom. Well, after they made that particular uh, generational type of classification, other people said, well, what are we? They wanted a classification. So we've classified the folks that were born before us as the builders. Because they went through the Depression, all the factors that they had going for them. They went through the war. Some of them were born during the war. And so we called them builders. And then the ones that followed that, well, what are we? So that there was Generation, or see, the Baby Busters. Then there was Generation X. And then there was Generation Y. Now, my kids were kind of split in the middle of two generations because the generation classifications became more refined because people were wanting to be classified. And find their own culture. So my oldest born in 1981 was a Gen X. At the end of the Gen X. But my other two that were born 1984 and 1987 were Gen Y. The millennial generation. I don't know what this next generation is going to be called. But they'll be wanting to be classified in a culture. There's just something today about the multiple cultures. Now maybe you've heard of the move from modernism to postmodernism. Some people will argue about that whether we're there or not. I think we are. Because in the modernism days, it had something to do, I think, with the church. The church was listened to. The church was an institution that was respected in modernistic times. We're in such a cultural type of diversity now that the church, there is either an antagonistic attitude toward the church or at least apathetic. I think that's where we are culturally now. Now, we are representatives of Christ, if we follow Christ. And we're supposed to be able to engage the culture. We're supposed to be able to represent God's love to the world. Now, the word self-represent is a challenge for us this morning. And I want you to write that down right below the date on your outline and, and fragment it between the R and the E. You don't see it on the outline. I mean, put R-E and put dash P-R-E-S-E-N-T. Because it means re-present. present That's what the original meaning of the word is. And that's what we have in the English, which is pretty accurate. It's re-present. Presence and also present. There's not only the character that goes with it of Christ, but there are the words and the actions. Not only present, but presenting. And that's what we are today. We have to be able to find out what the cultures are going through. It's really mind-boggling. And you'll see that in the title One thing I did on purpose was to give that little parenthesis and that S there. Because really, there's only one culture. There's only really one culture. That's humanity. It's people made in the image of God all over the face of the earth. But there's so many ways that people are trying to find meaning and trying to find different paths. And we don't always associate with those differences of, of paths and such. Now, that's a challenge in the church, and something I've taken interest in are those who observe what the church needs to do, and I've read many books, and I'd like to, to show you a few of the books I've read so you can pick them up and, and become aware. One I read about five or six years ago was called The Aqua Church by Leonard Sweet. I thought it was a pretty interesting book because it talks about how we have to navigate, like the winds and the waves and such, and, and we can't always just run a straight trek and hope people will catch on. We have to see what's going on in the culture. Another book that I read was, was one by uh, uh, Dan Kimball called The Emerging Church. Maybe some of you have read that or heard that term. There, there is something about the church now that is different because it's, it's not the way it was before. Brian McLaren points that out in his book, uh, a different kind of Christian, a new kind of Christian. And he's written many books. Any, pick up any book by Brian McLaren and, you, and you'll see that. Also, Reggie McNeil talks about the present future. We're always thinking about how things are going to be in the future, how it's going to be. He's saying it's right here, right now where we need to engage to the culture. Tim Condor talks about the, uh, the church in transition. We are in transition because of the culture, because of postmodernism among us. Barna does some studies about what people's religious th- uh, feelings are, and he's got revolutions, revolutionaries. He just wrote that in October. And then John Burke, most recently, he has a, written a book called No Perfect People Allow. I'll be quoting from that book later. Oh, I've read all of these books, and they all basically say the same thing. There are various cultures among the culture, but everyone is looking for the same thing. There are various cultures among the culture, but everyone is looking for the same thing. And we are representatives. We are re-present, and we are representing Jesus Christ to this world. So I think we need to be aware of the cultures we have within cultures. We need to possess an awareness factor. I think that's vital for us as, as Christ followers to know that there are various cultures out there. Maybe some we don't even imagine. My kids, you know, they were talking about some of their cultures as they were growing up. I couldn't keep up with them. I started asking them uh, uh, on the phone just last week about goth, and they said, "Oh, goth is passe." I said, "Well, it just got here. I just, I just got onto that one. It can't do that." And and one of them said, "Well, the skaters and goth kind of morphed into the emos." I said, "What is this? We need to be aware." We need to have a cultural awareness because it's happening so in such an accelerated rate, accelerated rate that people are trying to find meaning. We need to be able to tap in to see what the awareness is. And sometimes we're a little bit lagging behind. I know I tried with my kids uh, uh, to, to gain an awareness factor. I wanted to listen to their music somewhere. I got stuck somewhere around 1985 with modern music. So if there's anything after 85, I don't know it very well. It's new to me. I remember telling Gaby, hey, I heard this new song on your station. She said, well, that's Bob Marley. He's dead now. <laughs> so I guess it's not a new song. I got stuck. So I said, well, give me the, the stations to listen to so I can catch up. And so they gave me the numbers of the stations. And, and I listened to one of the stations to, get, to gain this awareness. And it takes work and discipline because I didn't like what I heard. It was very dark. It was very, very uh, sad. People were singing, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to see the sun come up tomorrow because these high-pitched, squeaky voices like... You know, what, what's wrong with you? And then the next song was like that. I can't listen to this. So I turned to the next number and then uh, there's some station, A guy going, oh, I want to kill somebody! <laughs> and so I thought antagonistically, well, why don't we get these two cultures together? <laughs> I'd solve a few things. But that's the antagonistic side of me. That's the prejudice I have where I, I don't want to associate with a culture. But I have to find that awareness, and that's what we see today, and that's what I hope we can pick up today from the scriptures. We need to have a mindset about what it takes to do to gain an awareness factor, to, to have that discipline, to be able to see what's out there, and to gain that awareness factor. It is different today, but really, really, it's not. It's not. There is one culture. That's humanity, and we are looking for some kind of meaning, We've got so many different ways of how we do it now, but we're trying to find some meaning. And that's the challenge for us to be able to find that out. The Bible says it in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Well, I even see that within my own lifetime. I see a lot of young boys now growing long hair again and wearing Led Zeppelin T-shirts. And I'm thinking, man, there's some of us who don't have hair anymore and can't hear it. It used to look like that. (laughs) It's not new, but it is kind of retro. It has a novelty to it. And so they take on that persona. They look back and try to gain from some of the cultures that went before them to gain something new. But it's not really new. There's nothing new under the sun. That's why we need to have an awareness factor. It kind of recycles. It comes out a little bit different. That's why we should have hung on to our polyester. It's sort of coming back. No, don't do that, please. (laughs) But we need an awareness factor so we can peek below the surface and see the person made in the image of God. We need that mindset. Now, today I want to provide for you a pivotal passage that I think is critical, a critical model for us to have that mindset that that God revealed through Luke, writing in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, open that up. It's about the last fifth of the Bible. And I'm going to ask someone who I think is culturally savvy to come up here and read it. I've asked uh, Elba Morotaya to come up here and read this. She's going to give you that that cultural look and she's going to read Acts 17 for you. So give her a hand as she comes up.
0: When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city official shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea they went there too. Agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. them, Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with its inscription to an unknown god. Now what you now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to pro- proclaim to you: the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhibit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that the men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not f- far from each of- one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own po- as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on the subject. At that Paul left the council. A few men became believers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others.
1: Elba provided for us with her speed and proficiency, the whirlwind aspect of of that uh, trip. And it was uh, for him. I would read this for the very first time or or even early in my walk and think that all the cultures were alike there because they were around the Mediterranean, but I didn't know until I was in the Navy how diverse these cultures are. And where he was in this area here, going down to Athens, there are all kinds of cultures. There's Bulgaria, there's uh, Romania, there's... uh, Algeria, there's, uh, uh, I mean, Albania, there's uh, uh, Greece and Turkey, and, and they all, uh, Greece, uh, Italy and Turkey over here, and they all speak different languages, and they all have different cultures. Uh, even when I would go from uh, Italy over to Greece, they looked alike to me, but you couldn't tell them that they looked alike or acted alike because they were proud of their culture. The same thing with the Norwegians and the Swedes. They sound like the same to me, they look the same to me, but don't tell the Swedes or a Norwegian that. There's just something about what you identify with. And these are all uh, subsidiaries of, or or pre uh, precursors or whatever you want to call them to the cultures we have today. He was with them. He was with them and he's passing through. And they had different reactions and different responses to him. We read in uh, Thessalonica where the Jews were jealous. And some of us will think there's some of the culture out there that are antagonistic and saying, well, the Bible is anti-Semitic and says the Jews there. But... You notice also in Berea that they were open, almost all of the Jews were there were accepting of the message. And so for us today, we might think of it as there are good Methodist churches and there are not so good Methodist churches. There are good Baptist churches and there are not so good Baptist churches. There are good purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive churches and there are not so good purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive churches. That's what he had dealt with and there was such a high antagonism that he has to escape and go down to Athens. That wasn't his uh, notion to do that in the first place. But he's escaping and getting away. And he, But yet he still talks and represents Jesus Christ within the cultures, despite the varying degrees of cultures and their varying responses. In some places, a few follow. And in some places, a lot will follow. And I think that's... Easy for us today, we, we may say that he had the advantage of being in the midst of those cultures. But we have cultures all around us in America. Aren't we the melting pot? Don't we have a situation now that politically is a little bit questionable about immigration or illegal immigration? I don't know what your opinion is on that and we can talk about it in the parking lot. But there's something you're going to have to deal with here because there are cultures coming to America that God loves. That may change our culture but still, we have to find a way to communicate the gospel to people who are hungry and people who are made in the image of God and need Jesus Christ. We're going to have to deal with that as well. And we, th- we, th- we may think that Paul has an advantage. We have the same opportunity. And so the mindset we need to have is equal with Acts 17. And I want to encourage you to read it on your own and look through it and see what happens in this particular story that God provides. But be careful when you meet people how you react. It's easy for us to assume something. We see Granny and we think she, all she's going to do is what Granny's doing. She doesn't. And she surprises us. Don't write anyone off. Don't write anyone off. It's so easy for us to do that based on extreme culture or differences that we have. We may be more tolerable towards some cultures, but maybe not others. But don't write anyone off. Paul didn't. Listen to what he does in Athens. He goes down there. And he's not planning to go down there. And he sees things he doesn't like. He's angered about all the pagan idols he sees. He probably never saw that many in so many place, in, in one place or another. And he's distressed and angered about it. But he doesn't write those people off. He observes their culture. And he sees the one culture that God is trying to reach. People made in the image of God. And this is what he does. He goes before them at the Areopagus. And it says, Acts 17.22 says this. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. That's not hypocritical. He knows they're hungry. He knows that their culture is looking for something. He knows the various things that he sees are expressing that hunger and looking for meaning. And he see, and he says, I see you're all in the same category. You're looking for meaning. He doesn't write them off. He wasn't hung up. And we get hung up. I get hung up. I just displayed it a few minutes ago about, you know, getting those two cultures together. I get hung up with that. He doesn't get hung up. Now, somebody I've talked about before here, and I always uh, like to see, utilize this person as a model, is Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. In the mid-60s, he went to the beach area and he saw this hippie culture and was disgusted by them. He said he was disgusted by them. The way they dressed, their lack of hygiene, their promiscuity, all that stuff. But he saw hunger in them. And so he engaged with that culture. Even this guy with a shirt and tie is engaging with tie-dye. And, and they're not, they're, he's able to find something that can connect them. And because I, of Chuck Smith, I believe he is a pioneer of what we have today in our culturally savvy worship style with contemporary Christian music. Because the, it opened the door for places like Willow Creek and Bill Hybels and Rick Warren and, and Saddleback and other ministries to go ahead and engage the culture. He opened the door and Paul did the same thing in the early church. So he didn't write them off. Chuck didn't write the hippies off. And Paul doesn't write these people off in Athens. He says, I see that in every way you are very religious. How do we do that? Well, we have to probe and discover. It takes a little bit of discipline. Listening to the radio station, songs we don't like. Watching movies that bore us. You know, those kinds of things. To find out what the culture is saying, we have to probe and discover. And we have to find a way to make a connection. That's why I think it's essential for us to find common denominators. They are there. If you're part of the culture of humanity, and everyone else is, there are common denominators. Paul found them in Thessalonica, only with a few. But that church thrived and grew. Most of them were antagonistic, chased him out of town on a rail. But that church was an essential church, early He didn't give up on them because he found common denominators. I I, I thank God that he did. He even, uh, uh, when he's talking to these people, he kind of gives all his own vulnerability toward his own notions, his own own religion of Judaism. He starts out by saying, God cannot be found in temples. And they knew that language was talking about his own religion. He cannot be found in temples. And then he has the freedom to say, neither is he found in these idols. He says in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. And look at this. Listen to this. He goes, As some of your own poets have said, We are his offspring. You talk about cultural awareness. Maybe he saw that inscription on some of those idols that he was distressed about. Some poet kept saying, We are his offspring. We are his offspring. To an unknown God, we are his offspring. And he says, as some of your posts have said, he didn't write them off. He found a common denominator. They heard something that he knew about, that he was aware of. And they listened to him. And he talked about Jesus Christ. We need to find common denominators. We need to have that mindset, especially today. It's very challenging, but we can find them. And you'll be surprised at what God can do through you, if you follow this model and this mindset that's provided for us in Acts 17 like to read from John Burke's book, No Perfect People Allowed. I'm a slow reader. I've been reading this for about three months because I want to devour every paragraph. John Burke, I got to hear him at the National Pastors Convention in uh, San Diego in February. He's the pastor of Gateway Community Church in Austin, Texas. And uh, I guess Joe's here. He's glad that uh, Ohio State beat the Texas Longhorns yesterday in Austin. But he is in that town of a liberal arts school. And there's free thinkers there. He's able to engage a lot of these free thinkers from various cultures. And listen to what he says in observation of what God has done through Gateway Community Church and his own transformation in ministry. He says this, pretty good insight. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't come during the age of global media? It's a good question. If God wanted to get the message out about his grace, wouldn't it have been more strategic to wait for satellite TV and the Internet? Yeah, it would have been. Jesus could have done all his miracles on the air, impressing viewers worldwide. Surely word would have spread like wildfire. And, and though there would still be doubters and skeptics, millions would have tuned in to watch. His teaching would not only be broadcast around the globe, it would be recorded and preserved perfectly. Surely Jesus could have done a better job representing himself on his TV with his TV audience than others have done in his place. I would agree with that. So if God wanted all these people everywhere to hear and learn of his love and grace, why didn't Jesus come during our century of mass communication? That's a good question. He says, I'm convinced it wasn't God made a mistake, a strategic marketing mistake. I'm certain God knew exactly what he was doing. And as the scriptures declare, when the right time came, God sent his son. But the message God intended was never meant to come, wrapped only in words but always through a living, growing body. That's us. Representing Christ. Maybe God's real message of life found in the gospel is best communicated life on life. Maybe only person to person is the truth accurately represented. That there is a God who loves you and he will teach you to love others as you follow him. Maybe that's why God entrusted his message not to mass communication, but to simple fishermen. Thieving tax collectors, prostitutes, and misguided zealots who had experienced the truth incarnate, and it changed them. He says, as I read as I read Paul's letter to the Thessalonian Church, I see a pattern. Paul says our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and so you became a model. Your faith in God has now become known everywhere. It's interesting because verse 4 of chapter 17 said only a some, only some that were deemed as irreligious people followed. And he says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Paul says he lived among them, caring for them like a mother cares for her children, encouraging and urging them on urging them on in faith like a father would his kids. He imparted not just a message, he says, but his very own life. And God's spirit infused his body with life so that the message rang out and people from all over were drawn to Christ. He says this of gateway, and I I say the same thing for Northgate. We have witnessed the same pattern of God's spirit at work, life by life. We have here. Jesus says the kingdom of God grows in this manner. From a tiny seed planted, it organically grows up into a large tree that benefits many. It's interesting that the the church in Thessalonica is mentioned here because just a few follow. But that church is a model church in the New Testament. And the church grew from that church. We look at Berea and we go, oh, everyone's open to hearing about the gospel, but you don't see any letters written to the Bereans. You don't hear anything about the Berean church after that. doesn't mean that it wasn't used, but it's interesting that a small number in Thessalonica, as they were chasing Paul out on a rail, maintained steadfastly their faith in Christ. And it was a surprise. And God used Paul because he was able to have an awareness of who they were and where they were. He didn't write them off. He didn't write them off, and he found common denominators. And that's the mindset we need because God desires to reach everyone. Listen to Second Peter 3 9. It says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The word you there is second person plural. If a Texan were to write this, it would say, all y'all. What it means is that God is patient with you. With me. The King James says, us word." It doesn't mean everyone outside the church walls. It means all of us in society. Because of his grace and because of his love. And his grace and love are to be extended to everyone. That's why Jesus came. John 3.16. God so loved the world. And it is our particular commitment and commission to be the representatives of Christ in this world today. And so I'm just asking that you have the awareness going. Let it continue to be a factor for you. Maybe put it to test this week, an awareness factor. Don't write anyone off. You may want to write someone off right away. Don't write anyone off. And see if God can enable you to find a common denominator so you can express his love to the culture. We have no idea how God is working in the hearts of people. Jesus said these words to us and we need to hear them today. Matthew five, fifteen, and 16. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. That is the presence and that is presenting that is the character and that is the action and the words that go along with being represented for Jesus Christ. I think is important and vital that we have this mindset today so that God can accomplish what he desires through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your patience that you are not slow. We measure slowness, Lord, and we do it very poorly. We want everyone to know of your love And that's what you want. And so, Lord, I'm just asking that we would proactively let our light shine, as Jesus said, that we would, life on life, be able to reflect your grace, your newness of life, that we would be aware, Lord, of many different ways that people express themselves in trying to find meaning, and that we would not dismiss them or write them off, but that we would find that commonness that we have of the hunger which can only fully be met by looking to you. We pray this for your sake and in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.